0: this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. You know, God gives us an extremely effective, important tool to get things done in the spiritual realm. But prayer may be the most underutilized tool that we've been given. Why don't we use it? Why is it so week in our lives, how can we have a more powerful prayer life? Today, Pastor Jeff Parker, our worship leader, gives us a look at Hezekiah and shows us how we can have powerful prayers. Sorry, I'm late. Work was crazy today. No, don't get up. It's okay. Uh, Yeah, just got a little bit behind. People are being crazy, you know. That's no problem, Chuck. I'm just glad. Uh, I'm glad I made it, too. Listen, let's get down to business. I have a lot of work here, a lot of requests. First things first. Pastor and his wife are at a conference. Keep them safe. Um, uh, Not a fan of the assistant pastor. The less he preaches, the better. Uh, What else? Ralph, his wife, is getting a tattoo removed. It's a stupid college party way back when. You know how those things go. It's in a real painful spot. I'm not a fan of football here, but my friend is. And if I could have two tickets to take him to show him how cool I am so he'd be my friend some more, that'd be great. My dog Nibbles has a gimp leg. Jiminy crickets. You know, now that I'm thinking, I could use a new jacket. I'm getting fuzzies all in this one. Please bless my sister, my mother, my father, our father who art in heaven, my neighbor, Cindy hallowed be thy name. Can you sort of train my church to clap on two and four, please, one and three? This is not disco, people. This is serving the Lord. The guy who brings in my shopping cart from the thing, something I can do to get a raise. Can you read what I wrote here? I think I I was dreaming. Bless the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Agriculture, the Secretary of Secretaries. Bless their secretaries thy kingdom. Thy kingdom come. And that's what bothers me about my mother. Hey, look at the time there. That's uh, uh, got to get going there. Jesus going to wrap this up and say amen. Amen. It's uh, been a pleasure praying with you. It's fine evening.
1: I'll be talking with you. Have a good day. You know, that's funny, but you know what ain't funny is that so many of our prayer lives look just like that. Anybody feel a little convicted, actually, by that? Because I am, right? Bring God my laundry list. Don't spend any time in meditation. Hear what he has to say. Don't get in his word the way you ought to to hear what he has to say. So, you ever you, and you guys got that friend that that calls, or when you call them, you got to really prepare yourself for that. You know what I'm talking about. You you know whose name just popped in your head. You know what I'm, exactly you call them, but they don't. They do all the talking. You don't get a word in. You know who I'm talking about. And and then when you get off the phone, you're like, I called them about something and I didn't even get to talk about it. Man, how many times do we come to God with our laundry list and and he's longing to speak to you, but we don't want to hear it. We just want to say, here's what I want. My will be done. My kingdom come. And if that lines up with your will great but otherwise here's what I need thank you and we wonder why our prayer lives are weak we wonder why we aren't experiencing victory in our prayers we feel like our prayers are hitting the ceiling and then we get mad and we blame God because why aren't you hearing me why aren't you answering my prayers one of the stupidest songs ever written was you know what was about it was about you know unanswered prayers it was a country song I'm not making fun of y'all that like country music but there was a song about unanswered prayers as some of God's greatest gifts and I kind of get what he's saying there but God answers prayers if you're a child of God did you know God's not trying to not answer your prayers and just hold out on you God wants to answer your prayers did you know that Not only does he want to answer your prayers, he wants you to live in in victory. Your prayer life ought to be a success story. But our definition of success has to change. Our understanding of what a successful prayer life, what victory looks like, has to change because victory is the Lord's. And not mine But we get to share in his victory By being in Christ Jesus So here's what I want to do this morning We're going to look at um, uh, at a guy named Hezekiah uh, Some of you are like, who is Hezekiah? Well, we're going to read about him this morning uh, We're going to do I, I just want to go ahead and forewarn you Normally, we got a little bit of, you know, some, uh, we got a little bit of scripture and we got some illustration to help you understand it and stuff like that. No, we are going to be reading a ton of scripture this morning. And so just hang on tight with me. We'll get through this and I promise I will try not to go over like I did at the last service. (laughs) But if prayer is one, if you've heard it said, if prayer is one of the most effective tools in the arsenal of a Christian. If that is the case, then why is it the most underutilized tool that we have? It doesn't make any sense. James, uh, James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So, how effective is your prayer life right now? It's a serious, soul-searching question to ask right now. How effective is your prayer life? How existent? Maybe it's not even that existent. But how effective is it even if it is existent? When faced with adversary, King Hezekiah sets a standard for us. And we're going to look at his story. What we want to do is look at his story. We're going to dissect his prayer and learn how to approach God in a real and proper way that yields victory. Alright, y'all ready to do that? So here's what we're going to do before, before I read the passage, and it's, it's a good long passage, so I'm going to need everybody, everybody, in get, get your Bibles, because I, I didn't post all the Bibles, all the Scripture up here this morning, otherwise those that are online aren't going to see anything except Scripture on the screen, because we're going to read a lot of Scripture. So get your Bibles, open it up right now, and let's look at this together. Open to the book of Hezekiah. I love looking around at people that are looking, where's Hezekiah? <laughs> there ain't no book of Hezekiah. <laughs> uh, open up to 2 Kings. We're gonna uh, our main passage is nine, uh, chapter 19, 14 through 19, but we're gonna start in 18. So go ahead and go to 2 Kings chapter 18. While you're doing that, let me give you a little uh, background information because it's it's all necessary, I promise, to know in the story. This might be a story you've never heard before, but it's it's it is a real interesting story, so just hang with me. So here's some who's who of that passage. First of all, we're gonna you're gonna hear about a guy named Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah was the father. Uh, his father's name was Ahaz. And if you know anything about the kings of Judah and Israel, Ahaz was not a good king. He was a very evil king. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. His name Hezekiah means Jehovah is strength. And man, he he lives up to his name. Jehovah is strength. Where do you think he got such a good name? He didn't get it from Ahaz, king of. Uh, so he was a king of the nation of Judah. So that means he was of the line of David, and he was king for twenty nine years in Judah. He was one of Judah's most righteous kings. The Bible says he claved to the Lord, and up to his time, there was no king that was more like David. And one of the things he is the most known for is he destroyed the groves and tore down the high places and even the brazen serpent see these groves now let me tell you about that so these these groves and these high places these were places of worship where people would go and worship God and the Asherah poles and Baal and anything, Ashtoreth, whatever, um, whatever they wanted to do. It was kind of a universalist approach. You know, it don't matter who you, what name you call God, you approach God in your own way. And before there was a temple, people would just worship God, you know, in the places, you know, wherever they could. And, but, once the temple had been built and what's bad is Solomon allowed this in but once the temple had been built God said I will put my presence there in Israel and you come here and you worship me but people went and did things wanted to worship God their own way they still do that today but he tore down the high places unlike even some of the good kings before him were willing to do and not only that he destroyed the brazen serpent that Moses had built hundreds of years ago. That would be like going into the Smithsonian and taking something pretty darn cool and just destroying it. So you've made an idol out of this. But that's what they did. See, see, in Moses' day, um, when they were wandering around in the wilderness, there was this time where these snakes came in and started biting the people, and they were dying. A lot of them were getting their poison. They, they, they were dying from it. And so Moses went to God, and he said... "There's." What what are we going to do about this? And so God gives a beautiful prophetic image when He does this. But He says, "All right, they're being bitten by the serpent. What you're going to do is you're going to build a brazen serpent and put it on a on a uh, uh, on a uh, on a pole, and you're going to lift it up. And anybody who wants to be healed, if they're bitten, they're going to get bitten. (laughs) But when they do, they can look to this and they'll be healed." of what else? them. You ever wondered why there's a, a snake around a pole on the ambulance? That's where that comes from. And so that's what would happen. They believed that if they looked on that, that God would heal them. And you know what? Jesus said the same thing. He said, just like that serpent was lifted up in the desert, so the Son of Man is gonna be lifted up. Now draw all men unto me. We look to Jesus Christ, and we are healed of our sin. And so it was a beautiful image. There was nothing wrong with it. But by the time, hundreds of years later, man, this relic of a time when Moses was the leader, of a time when God was doing some great things in Israel, man, it had become an idol. And people were literally worshiping that thing. So Hezekiah had it destroyed. Next guy, Sennacherib. Any of y'all ever thought of naming your kid that? I'm going to name him Sennacherib. But that was, you know, I don't know. So so he was a king of Assyria. He was a bad dude. King of Assyria, uh, circa 704 to 681 BC. His Assyrian armies outnumbered Judah's army, 100 soldiers to every one soldier. That's pretty bad. His armies also outnumbered the Egyptian armies by about the same. So you could put... Uh, judah's armies and israel's armies and it would be like two soldiers for every 100 soldiers (laughs) that's a big army he had besieged lachish and other fortified cities in judah but he had failed up to this point to capture jerusalem and that's where he set his eyes next he was a very powerful king of his time he worshiped idols and he mocked god all right next we have isaiah now no doubt you've heard about that guy there's a whole book of isaiah that's the same guy uh, he's a prophet to the southern kingdom of judah and a prophet to king hezekiah now when i say the southern kingdom you got to understand what had happened after david and and, and solomon is um, the, the kingdom split in half He had some bad leadership stuff going on, and uh, so the kingdom of Israel split, and so you had the southern, smaller southern kingdom of Judah, which remained true to—that's where Jerusalem was. It remained true to the house of David, and then the rest was Israel, and they set up their capital in Samaria, which is where later on you got the Samaritans, and you know, and they—they were the ones who really rebelled against God, right? But uh, the ones down there in Judah, they were the ones that uh, they felt like, okay, we still follow the Lord, we still trust in the Lord. And uh, that's where uh, Hezekiah was prophet and that's where uh, Isaiah was a prophet too. But he was also like an advisor to King Hezekiah as well. All right, now that you know that, Sennacherib was on this conquest. He wanted to dominate and humiliate the Middle East and to basically get them to submit by tactics of fear. All right, so... um, so what he does is is uh as he starts attacking judah he makes his way to jerusalem and he sends a pretty sizable army along with his rob shaka Now rob shaka is like a chief of staff right kind of sort of like a general and so he sends his rob shaka and an army to go to jerusalem now in jerusalem they heard this army is coming in jerusalem the people they're they're kind of worried, put yourself, I want you to do that this morning, put yourself in the shoes of these people who are in Jerusalem okay, so the people were sitting along the wall, they had a huge wall big enough people could walk around on um, people are sitting up on the wall and they're in the city and they're watching as this army is surrounding their city and so the Rabshakeh and the, uh, and the chief of staff there, they, 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 they come and they say send King Hezekiah out, Sennacherib has a message for him And so Hezekiah doesn't even give him the time of day. He sends his staff out there to meet him. Staff goes out there, and here's what happened. Let's look at it together. Chapter 18, starting in verse 19. Then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah, This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? Oh, Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, it'll be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is completely unreliable but perhaps you'll say to me we are trusting in the Lord our God but isn't he the one who has insulted who was insulted by Hezekiah didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars remember we talked about that and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here at the temple in Jerusalem I'll tell you what strike a bargain with my master the king of Assyria He's just messing with him at this point. He says, I will give you 2,000 horses if you can find enough men to put on them. And with your tiny little army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops? Even with the help of Israel's chariots and charioteers, what's more, do you think we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction ourselves? The Lord Himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. This guy is on dangerous ground, isn't he? But isn't this exactly what the enemy does? The enemy tries to convince you that he knows what the Lord's thinking and that the Lord's not going to help you. The Lord wants you to be defeated, He wants you to experience defeat in this lifetime you know the enemy <coughs> excuse me the enemy likes to tell lies that way he wants you to be afraid to fear so that he can cause you to submit that's how the enemy puts you under his foot church we have a whole nation that is living in fear right now afraid man if i say the wrong thing i'm gonna offend somebody if i if i don't do this or i don't do that man and trust the Lord is in the furthest back of anybody's mind it seems like then Eliakim son of Hilkiah Shebna and Joah said to the Assyrian chief of staff please speak to us in Aramaic see the Aramaic was the Assyrian language but they were speaking to him in Hebrew because he wanted everybody to understand what he was saying he said please speak to us in Aramaic for we understand it um, but don't speak uh in Hebrew, for the people on the wall are gonna hear what you're saying. And Sennacherib's chief of staff said, Do you not think that my master sent this message? Do you think he sent it just to you and to your master? He wants all of the people here to hear this message. For when we put this city under siege, they will suffer along with you. They will be so hungry and they will be so thirsty. They will be made to eat their own dung and drink their own urine. Holy cow, what? The people on the wall said, (laughs) I mean, this is fear. This is fear tactic. This is what the enemy does. Guys on the wall, man, put yourself in their shoes. Can you imagine what this must have been like? Are you still trusting in the Lord? We're outnumbered 100 to 1. They're saying they're going to make us eat stuff I don't want to eat. I like cheeseburgers. I don't like that. Man, I like Coca Cola. I don't want to drink that. Y'all can tell I do, man. especially coming off a cruise ship man that's something about those cruise ships you can just eat and eat and eat and don't gain any weight it's wonderful but these guys are terrified they must have been then the chief of staff stood and shouted in Hebrew to the people on the wall listen to this message from the great king of Assyria this is what the enemy does listen this is what he says don't let Hezekiah deceive you He will never be able to rescue from my power. Don't let him fool you and to trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely rescue us. This city will never fall into the hands of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms. These are the terms of the king of Assyria that he's offering. Make peace with me. Open these gates and come out. And then each one of you can continue eating your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well it's interesting he says eating from drinking from your own well and he says then i will arrange to take you to another land like this one a land of grain he's already contradicting himself isn't he i'll take you to another land like this one a land of grain and new wine bread and vineyards olive groves and honey choose life instead of death Don't listen to Hezekiah when he tries to mislead you by saying the Lord will rescue us. Have the gods of any other nation ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? Some of the people on the wall probably said, he's got a point. They all prayed to their gods and their God didn't listen. Who's to say ours will? Man, he wants to sow doubt in your heart. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to convince you that it will be well with you if you abandon this reckless plan to follow the Lord. It may lead you into martyrdom. It may lead you to prison. It may lead you to be ridiculed because you speak the truth. Abandon that and you'll get to live in peace. You'll get to live in prosperity, you know, it's a facade. So here's what he says. He says, "Don't listen to Hezekiah. He's trying to mislead you, saying the Lord will rescue us. Have the gods of any other nations ever saved their people from Assyria? What happened to the gods of Hamath and Arpad? What happened to the gods of Chirvain, Hina, Ivah? Did any god rescue Samaria from my power? Samaria. Now that was the northern part of Israel, and they had already been defeated. They had long since abandoned God." Did any God rescue Samaria? What God of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? So what makes you think the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? But the people were silent and did not utter a word because Hezekiah had commanded them, Do not answer him. But sometimes we let, uh, we let the enemy speak, don't we? tell us things that aren't real let them rattle around in our brain you're not good enough and look at your past look at what you've done you think God can ever forgive you and maybe he does maybe he'll forgive you but you'll never change and he'll never be able to use you because of that but if you just blend in with everything else blend in with the rest of the world You don't have to, you know, go ahead and cling to your religion, but you don't have to cling to it fully. It's futile. Man, these are the things the enemy wants to tell you. So, imagine, put yourself in this situation. And so what happens is this. um, The staff go back in to deliver the message to Hezekiah, and they rip their robes, which is a sign of distress and they go in there and they tell him they're they're ready to uh, lay siege to this city. Hezekiah tears his clothes in distress, sackcloth, ashes, and Isaiah shows up, the prophet, his advisor, and says, Hezekiah, essentially, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, essentially he says, who are you trusting in? He says, here's what the Lord says. I'm going to put a rumor in the ear of the Rabshakai it's going to turn them back toward their hometown okay as it's happening as he's saying that guess what happens word comes to the Rabshakon says your king Sennacherib who was laying siege to Lachish he's having to pull out because there's another king from another nation that's coming against him and he needs your help so they all had to pull out and leave and just as you might would think, well, there's the victory. No, God had greater. Uh, he, he's going to get a greater glory here, and you're about to see what happens. But let me just go ahead and tell you what happened. Uh, look at verse verse 10 of chapter 19. So he sends a so he sends a letter, sends a message, the Shaka, back to Jerusalem just to let them know. We ain't forgot about you. He says, this is a message for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God in whom you're trusting deceive you with the promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done wherever they go. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? Why indeed? Have the gods of other nations rescued them such as the nations of Goz and Haran Rezeph and the people of Eden who were Talasar my predecessors destroyed all of them what happened to the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad what happened to the kings of Seraphim, Hina, Eva? after Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it he went to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord And this is where we begin to learn our lesson from Hezekiah. Anybody here feel like the enemy's laid siege to you? Is there something going on in your life that you're saying, you know, I'm not experiencing victory in my prayer life, if I'm honest. Well, a couple of lessons I think you can learn. He's about to enter the battlefield of the living God what's beautiful about the battlefield of the living God is that he has all the power and our armies mean nothing for he can simply speak and the enemy falls so he enters the battlefield of our living God by getting in his presence and praying so that's the first lesson that we learn from the prayer of Hezekiah is be humble in his presence be humble in in His presence, if the prayers of a righteous person, like I said in, in James, that the prayers of a righteous person are effective and powerful. If that is true, then could a weak prayer life be evidence that you don't spend enough time in His presence? Have you been consistently in His Word, with His people in worship? in his word pouring over the things he has to say or do we just bring our little laundry list to him every so often whenever we feel like we need something and wonder why we're not getting much of a response but we come into him first of all if you're going to have an effective prayer life you've got to come into his presence in a proper way I heard it said by a lady one time, she said, man, she said, she said my prayer life, man, I, sometimes I just am yelling at God and just, you know, and I, he wants me to do that. He wants me to just spill my heart to him. And I'm like, okay, the Lord wants you to bring your cares to him. But we have to come understanding who this God is that we are, that we are approaching. He is our heavenly father, but we are to humble ourselves in his presence. Recognizing that he is God Almighty. But you gotta be in His presence. Psalm uh, twenty-two is one of my favorite Psalms. It's very prophetic. It um, speaks of the pain that the psalmist was writing about, but it was very prophetic about what Christ would go through. He talks about, you know, them casting lots for his clothing and, and pierce my hands and my feet. It's a prophetic chapter, but late in that chapter it says uh, it says, But you, great God, are enthroned or inhabit the praises of of your people. You inhabit, that means you live in, that is your, where you live, you are surrounded by the praises of your people. That doesn't speak to how great your praise is, by the way. It speaks to how great our God is. He is surrounded by the praise of his people. If you don't find yourself amongst God's people in praise, in worship, and adoration, can you say you're in the presence of God? So maybe If you want an effective prayer life, maybe you need to be in His presence. Maybe you need to be consistently with His people in praise and worship and you know what's beautiful as opposed to that, we can get even closer to the presence of God than Hezekiah could he was able to get as close to the holy. he couldn't go to the holiest of holy the holy place he could only go to the altar there which was further than some could go but he could get up to the altar there but he would get as close to the presence of God as he could because Jesus had not yet come but he got as close to the presence of God as he could but you and I man through Jesus Christ who has died to make you because he that's why you can't come into his presence. How do you even do that? He's holy, he's perfect. You can't enter his presence because you're not. But if you are covered in the beauty and perfection of who Jesus Christ is, which is what he offered when he died on the cross for you, that you might take his place, exchange places so that you can approach the very throne of God but that is a place to humble yourself have you been in his presence worshiping have you you sat at his feet meditating in his word or or is your prayer life like the video we watched where you just say everything and he never talks that's not an effective prayer life and it's not a prayer life that you're going to see victory with you need to be in his word consistently you know the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you he wants to give you the instruction he wants you, his will he's not holding out on you, he's not not answering your prayers, his answer might be no if you're not praying the right kind of prayer or it might be wait but he always answers but you know he He wants you to know his will even more than you want to know it so if you don't know what his will is how do you find out? You gotta hear from him. And you don't hear from him if you're never in his word, if you're never meditating in his presence. But he wants to speak to you, and it will always be confirmed through his word. I've said this one of the things that I used to say in youth ministry to my youth more than any other thing that I would tell them is the Holy Spirit is never gonna remind you of that scripture you never read. At the time when it is dire, when you need it the most, he has something to say to you and you never read it. How can he remind your heart of that wonderful truth? You got to be in his word, church. Why is my prayer life not effective? Because God ain't talking back to you. You're not letting him. Be in his presence. The presence of God is obviously the best way to approach him, so that's what Hezekiah did. He went to the went to the house of the Lord, and he and uh, he laid his nation's cares at the feet of his Savior, of the of of the one who wins all of his battles. First, uh, the first Bible verse I ever memorized when I was a kid um, was First Peter five seven cast all your cares on him for he cares for you like a loving father should and that's the thing you want to know what the very first effective prayer you will ever pray will be is the prayer where you decide to uh, accept the gift that Christ is offering of exchanging places with you because then you become a child of God You become a son or daughter of the Most High. You have access to the throne room of God Almighty and you can lay your cares at his feet because he cares for you because you are his child. He loves you. He wants you to live in the victory that he purchased on the cross. He wants that for you. But your prayers will hit the ceiling every time if you don't come in Christ Jesus That's the first effective prayer you'll ever pray. So is there something that you need to lay at his feet this morning? We want to give you the opportunity to do that. Lesson two. And now we're going to dissect his prayer. Lesson two is pray biblical prayers. It sounds simple. But how many of your prayers that you feel like went unanswered were actually unbiblical. James warns us about that. and In the book of James, he says, you know, we we love to quote the verse, you have not because you... We know that. We have not because you ask not. But do you all know the part right after that? See, he says, you have not because you ask not, but then some of you ask, and you still have not, because you ask Amiss. You're asking for the wrong things. See, there's power in praying biblical prayers, not selfish prayers. What does your prayer life look like? When you come to God, what does your prayers look like? He says, you you ask amiss because you're praying that you might heap onto yourself the lusts of your flesh. And they can seem so innocent and that's what the enemy wants he wants you to approach God in the wrong way he wants you to feel defeated over and over again the enemy's tricky but let's look at Hezekiah's prayer here look at verse 15 and let's examine the prayer of Hezekiah first of all we see that Hezekiah's prayers realize the power of God The power of God, that he is ruler over all things. Look at verse 15. He says, uh, so he lays this scroll, he lays this uh, letter out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer. O Lord, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. he's ruler over all he's ruler he is God over Ukraine he is God over Russia he is God over the United States of America no matter what happens and what happens he allows to happen but he's even God over what the enemy thinks he can do to you did you know that the devil isn't anything but a dog on a leash that's it That's not to say God is causing evil in your life and he's called, no, but God allows things to happen. Why? Because he's ruler over all and he is God. He has that providence. It's called sovereignty. Our God is sovereign. That's what that means. He is ruler over all. Now, why does he get to do that? Well, it's pretty simple. Number one, he is God, but number two, and it's the other thing that he recognizes. He's creator over all of all things. God is creator of all things and Hezekiah recognized that he says you are God over all the nations including Assyria but he says this keeps changing places with me here. You alone are create, create have created the heavens and the earth you alone man we've got to help god out by explaining that away these days don't we man the enemy he he don't want you to believe that because if the enemy can help you to believe that god didn't create in the way that he said he created then what else can you trust about god if he didn't create then he doesn't have sovereignty does he That's the thing. When you create something, man, you are sovereign over it. Why? Because if you're God, and he's the only one that can do this, you speak in ex nihilio, which means out of nothing, you speak it with your very words into existence. And when that is you, when you can do that, you can be sovereign. You can be ruler of all nations because you are creator. But the enemy tries to tell us today that God didn't create or tries to help God maybe maybe it happened this way maybe you can have your higher power but here's how things were created you know everything came from matter and matter is eternal and nothing ever created matter because it's we don't know why it's eternal and you know we don't know where the energy come from but somehow or another it spun around and exploded and everything we've got right now so we really don't need god but when you understand that God is... See, that's what the devil wants you to believe. But when you understand God is the creator, then you understand God's sovereign. When you understand God is sovereign, then what can the enemy do to you? We've got to set things in perspective. We've got to realize the power of God when we come to him. And that's what he did. He realized God has control over this. Guys, why do you fret and worry over things that you don't have any control over? be it health be it wealth <laughs> you don't have control over that stuff you might think you do we worry so much about finances we worry so much about wealth uh, about health you know it's not to say that we don't bring these cares because he says bring your cares to the lord because he cares for you but ultimately when you recognize that he has all the power that he's ruler over all of them, that he's sovereign you can you can say you can submit yourself to his will and it takes such a burden off of your life find out you've got cancer can you imagine that kind of a burden even that he don't want you to live under the pressure that this world says you gotta live under you don't have to because our God is sovereign over even that He's sovereign, and He loves you. That's a great combo. Here's what he says, though. The next thing, he says, uh, he realized the power of God, but he also recognized the presence of God as being singular and living. Remember, he said, you are the only God. Here's what he says. You alone created the heavens and the earth, Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words in defiance against the living God. He says, it is true. It's true, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these other nations. They've thrown the gods of these nations into the fire. They've burned them. But of course the Syrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from His power. Our God is living. He says these gods that they're saying, you know, their gods couldn't save them. What makes you think you're God? We... We have a living God, Church. Who, when we say "What is your name, God?" He says, you "Just call me I Am." Why is that? Because when He told Moses, "I Am has sent you," and when we hear it later in Scripture, and when Jesus even Himself used the same words when He said, "I Am," and the guards that came to get Him fell back at the, just the very mentioning of that. Because no matter when you say it, it is always present. It is always present tense because our God is everywhere always present. He is not only omnipotent, but we learned that He is is omnipresent as well. And He is in the midst of your problems right now and sovereign over all of them. But our God is living and breathing. He's not this God who created everything and like some like to believe and say He doesn't... He doesn't intervene. He just lets it all be good luck. That's not who our God is. He is a living, breathing, intimately involved creator. That ought to put a little bit of fire in your bones when you pray. And He's not man-made. He's not a figment of our imagination. We didn't just... Decide one day you know over the course of thousands of years we're just going to come up with this great religion that's going to keep everybody happy and treating each other nice and that's not at all how it happens as a matter of fact you got thousands of years worth of god-breathed writing here in your hand and not a bit of it contradicts itself if you understand the scriptures not a bit of it but what we have is a perfect word from God that is inerrant and infallible and yields power over your life, over your prayer life, over your problems, your circumstances. It is not man-made. And finally, and we'll finish up here, Hezekiah's prayer responded pleasingly to God. That's where the that's where the uh, victory is won how did he respond pleasingly to God how do we know that his prayer was a good biblical prayer that honored God that lined up with his will it responded pleasingly by declaring God as the Lord of his nation look at verse 19 he says now O Lord our God rescue us from His power. There's something to be said about a a nation's condition when it has leaders that are willing to declare the Lord as our God. You are God of this nation. And we have a, a nation that doesn't do that right now. There are great repercussions because of it. But you know what you can do. Like Joshua... You can stand up and say, as for me in this house, I might not be the president, but as for me in this house, we are going to serve the Lord. As for me in this house, I'm going to show my children what it means to, to, to lay my cures at the feet of Christ. I'm going to show my children what it means to be in his presence, to be with his people worshiping God on a regular basis. I'm going to show what it means to live a life of victory because that's what God has afforded us at the cross. we stand up right now we declare that he is the Lord you know what that word Lord means I've said this before I think but you know the fact that I'm a landlord over a house in North Carolina means that when the pipes break it's not on them it's on me means that when the house needs re-roofing guess what I take care of that why because I'm Lord over that land. I'm it's my responsibility. And when He is Lord over you, He determines what has, you know, this can go and this can't. No dogs in the house, right? That's that's how it is in my property. That's how it is in your life. If He is Lord over your life, He determines you belong to Him and He determines what is best for you. You might not understand it, but you can trust it because He is God. And when you recognize and you declare he is Lord of this nation or he is Lord of my house, it ought to reflect in the way you live your life. And finally, responded pleasingly by desiring God's recognition in other nations as well. It's not just about you, but our God, if he is the God that we're working up here, that we're talking about, then he deserves not just your praise, not just your repentance, but he desires the praise of every tongue, nation, and tribe as his word says that he does. And who are we to keep the good news of the gospel to ourselves, church? Are we about his business? is our desires when we come to the Lord selfish or do we genuinely care about other people? Because if you want to pray a biblical prayer, two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. He prayed for other nations. He says, "He says, here's what I want you to do. He doesn't just say, give us victory so that we can live free. No, he says, give us victory for this reason. rescue us from his power and then all the nations of the earth will know that you alone O Lord are God he desired that other nations might see the power of God and be transformed by it he says here they are they have spoken against you O Lord now you take care of this so that your name might be made great in other nations not just us we know what you can do you've split the Red Sea for us you've brought us thus far but let the other nations see your great power that they might know that you alone are God and you know what that is a prayer that pleased God that is a prayer that lined up with God's will there's a um, I'm going to close out with this there's a uh, a pastor named Jim Simbola who is a well-known pastor uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle he's um, has a book called uh, Fresh Wind Fresh Fire it's a good book Um, but he made some great reservations there he said if, if our if our churches don't pray and if people don't start having an appetite for God then what does it matter how many people attend the services it doesn't matter how will that impress our God Can you imagine the angels in heaven saying, Oh, your pews, we can't believe how beautiful they are up here in heaven. We've been talking about them for years. Your sanctuary lighting, it's so clever. The way you get those lights to follow you, that's so cool. They're not concerned about those things in heaven. They are concerned about God's people having an appetite to be in God's presence, to serve him, to declare him as Lord and fall in line with his will. That's what he wants for your life. That's where victory is found. But he goes on to say this. If we don't want to experience God's closeness here on earth, then why would we want to go to heaven anyway? Because he's the center of everything there. If we don't enjoy being in his presence here and now, then heaven would not be heaven for us. Why would he send anybody there that doesn't passionately long for him on this earth? Do you long for your king, church? Do you long that others know his great power, know his sovereignty, know how to live in a life of victory? Do you want that for others? because if you did I'm telling you it'll radically transform your prayer life radically I guess I gotta tell you what God did don't I and then we'll close out Hezekiah's prayer proof effective look at verse 35 this is so cool that night the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers when the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning they found corpses everywhere then the king Sennacher of Assyria broke camp returned to his own land he went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there one day while he was worshipping in the temple of his God his sons came and killed them, killed him with their swords and history even outside of the Bible has, has told us that's exactly what happened <laughs> You know what's beautiful about the way God did it? His way? Our way would have been, God, grant us the victory. We're going to have to fight. We're 100 to 1, but we can do it. God's way is different than the way we think. We have to pray in accordance to His will. Hezekiah's desire, like God's, was that other nations might see His greatness. And so instead, without them even having to lift a finger... 185,000 Assyrians were defeated. And nobody gets the glory for that except for God.